0: Uh, morning, everyone. Since, uh, since Sunday the 23rd of September, we as a church, and this is just really for anyone who's visiting, but we, we as a church for the last two months have looked at and thought about 12 spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith, the Christian life. Here's the list that we've looked at. We've looked at worship and Sabbath and confession and examine and unplugging and silence and solitude and service and fasting and Bible intake or Bible reading meditation upon scripture, and then last week, faithful presence. And suppose the, the question is, how's it going? How, how's it, how are they going uh, in, in your life? What kind of changes have taken place in the last couple of months with regard to the practice of spiritual, spiritual disciplines? Today, we're, we're going to take our last look at spiritual disciplines until the new year. We've still a few more to go in 2019, uh, but this is the, this is the last time this year. Next week, we're into December, as Richard has said. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and we are going to be starting this new seasonal series called Eight Women and a Baby. Uh, Kind of thought that with the Spice Girls reforming, uh, I needed to do something around girl power, so that's that's where we're going with that. No, it's not, honestly. Uh, But but this morning and this evening, we're going to consider two more spiritual disciplines. So let me ask you a question uh, as we get into this morning's one. What are two of your most precious, most valuable, most valued resources? What are two of your most valuable, precious, valued resources? Well, one answer is these. Time and money. We all have them. They're a huge part of our lives. They play a huge part in our lives, which means that when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being godly, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, how we use these two resources, what we do with them matters. Matters significantly, matters eternally. Plus, given the fact that we are on the countdown to Christmas, the opportunity to talk about time and money might be timely. And so as part of this series, we're going to think about a disciplined use of our time and a disciplined use of our money, although I've, I've already messed up because there's something wrong with that sentence on the screen. The word are in there is a mistake, a disciplined use of our time a disciplined use of our money, neither of those resources are entirely ours. Both of them belong to God. We we have been entrusted with them. They have been gifted to us, but ultimately God owns them. And so our job is to manage them, to manage them carefully, to manage them responsibly. We are to be, to use a biblical word, we are to be good stewards of our time and our money. We are to be good guardians of the resources that God has loaned to us. And so the discipline that I do want to look at this morning, as Gordon said earlier, is stewardship. And we've got to see this as a discipline Because let's be honest, there are so many things, there are so many people, there are so many demands clamoring for our time and for our money. And therefore, see if we are not disciplined, if we are not intentional, if we are not deliberate in our use of these resources, we risk wasting them. We risk misusing them. And in addition to that, we are in danger of missing out on a crucial opportunity to grow spiritually through being good stewards of these resources. Because if we use these resources well, if we use these resources to honor God, to worship God, to express our faith, to reflect our faith, then they can have and should have a powerful impact on our Christian lives, our Christian commitment, and our Christian witness. The spiritual discipline of stewardship. And so we're going to start with money, or sorry, we're going to start with time and then move on to money. And specifically, we're going to think about the discipline of giving. But let me repeat the four purposes for spiritual disciplines. Let's get a wee bit of congregational participation. What are the four reasons we've been saying all along for practicing spiritual disciplines? Give me one of them for godliness, Jesus did them for intimacy with God and to guard our hearts. And the key verse that underpins this entire series is First Timothy 4, 7, where the apostle Paul says to young Timothy, discipline yourself, why? For the purpose of godliness. And so all along during this series, for the past two months, we've been saying, we've been stressing that godliness is the result. Godliness is the outcome. Godliness is the payback. Godliness is the consequence of a biblically disciplined life. That is the result of practicing spiritual disciplines. They're not an end in themselves. They're a means to that, and that end is godliness. The reason for this series is not to see more people practicing spiritual disciplines. The reason for this series is to see people becoming more and more godly, more and more like Jesus. But what we've also been saying all along is that when it comes to the spiritual disciplines the one thing that is essential if we're going to do them, if we're going to practice them, or certainly most of them, one thing is essential, and that is time. Time. You see, without giving time to them, without setting aside time for Bible intake, Bible meditation, for confession, for any of those, without setting aside time for them, we're beat. We just won't do them. We can't do them or we'll struggle to do them. Time is central to most disciplines. And if we don't develop a God-centered use of our time, we won't engage in many of the spiritual disciplines. It's as simple as that. Donald Whitney in the book many of us are reading says this, at the heart of a disciplined spiritual life is the disciplined use of time. So the question is, how disciplined are you in your use of time? What are we doing with our time? How are we using it? We we all have exactly the same amount of time per day. All of us. All of us have got 24 hours in a day. So, So what are your priorities? What are my priorities? What am I giving my time to? What have you given your time to this week? Are there time wasters in, in my life that I need to eliminate? Or at least are there things I need to reconsider? Have I ever done, have you ever done a time audit and looked at how you spend your time in an average day, an average week? What would an exercise like a time audit of the past week reveal about your priorities? But as we think about being good stewards of this God-given resource, let me highlight three important biblical insights and principles. These are kind of three big headlines when it comes to time. And the first is we are to use time wisely. Whenever Paul was writing to Christians in Ephesus, he he urged them to make the best use of the time. Look carefully then how you walk. In other words, how you live your Christian life. Look carefully how you live your Christian life. Not as own ways, but as ways. What does ways living, ways walking look like? You make the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. And they still are. And therefore, this biblical exhortation remains highly relevant to us today. We must use the time that we have got. We must use the time that we have been given wisely. Now, doing that in our world, doing that in our culture, doing that in our context, it isn't easy. So many things vie for our time, compete for our time, demand, cry out for our time. And so we must learn to be good stewards who make the best use of time. And one way to do that is by using some of it for the practice of spiritual disciplines. It's one way to use time wisely. Second big headline I want to say is this. Times short. I mean, we all know that. I don't want to be more, but this morning. But no matter how long you live for, or how long you've left to live, the Bible is clear that in the grand scheme of things, in the light of eternity, ultimate capital T time, you and I are what? This is how the Bible describes us. You and I are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're not going to be here forever. I mean, we all know that. One out of one people die. Which means that how we use our time now, the time that we have got, the time that we have been given, how we use our time now matters. It has massive implications and repercussions, not only in this life, not only for this life, but also ultimately for the life to come for the eternal time that lies ahead. Time is passing And although we might speak of saving time and buying back time and making up time, those are all illusions. The reality is time is always passing. You cannot rewind it. You cannot put pages back in the calendar. And when it comes to phrases like, well, where has all the time gone? The answer is right there. It's gone. Can't be replaced. Can't be replenished. Can't be relived. And so again, how you use the time you've got and whether or not you use it wisely matters because a disciplined use of time for the purpose of godliness is vitally important because whenever today is over, it's over. It's over. None of us are getting today back. plus what we do with our time, as I've already said, has got this ripple effect. What you do today impacts and influences tomorrow and all your tomorrows, to quote gladiator, as I have done before, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. It's got a ripple effect. What you do today with the time you've got, with the time you've been given, with the time you've been entrusted, with the time that is on loan to you, what you do with it matters significantly, eternally. And therefore, using it wisely, using it in a disciplined way, using it intentionally, using it deliberately, given that it's short and it's passing, that's a major discipline for each and every one of us. The third last thing I want to say about time is this, that one day we're all going to have to give an account to God for our use of it. The Bible's rather explicit on this. It's not really up for discussion in a sense. One one of the most sobering statements in all of Scripture is found in Romans 14. When it's talking about final judgment. It kind of waits around the corner for all of us. It says this. So then. Each of you. Will give an account of ourselves to God. Each of us. No exceptions there. Christian, non-Christian, not yet Christian. Yeah, believers, Christians will be saved by grace. Again, that's not up for discussion. But we still must give an account of our lives to God, how we have spent them, how we have lived them. In fact, according to Jesus, every single careless word we use is going to be up for review. How we use our God-given time now counts. And the reason it counts is because it counts eternally. And because one day we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for our use of time. So three principles, three insights that should shape and influence how we manage and organize our time that God has entrusted to us. We've got to use it wisely. Why? Because time is short and because we're all going to have to give an account of it. But then let's move on to money. The disciplined use of money, which, which as we all know, and we've been round this block so many times, but we all know the use of our money is a major, there's me messing up again, the use of money, not our money. The use of money is a major discipleship issue. Jesus spoke more about money and stewardship than he did about virtually any other subject apart from the kingdom of God. So this is a core spiritual issue. It's also a personal issue, I know that. I need to be sensitive about how I speak about money. I hate speaking about money, I've said that up here before. It's a personal issue, I know that. But maybe more importantly, money is a profoundly revealing issue. Because how we use it, what we do with the money we have got, what we do with our finances discloses something about the state of our hearts. Again, explicit biblical teaching. What we do with our money, how we use money, divulges something about the internal landscape and condition of our spiritual lives. And how we use money communicates which master we truly serve. Because as we all know, we can't serve two masters. It's either God or it's money, according to the New Testament. In one very real sense, money represents us. How we use it reveals who we are. How we use it manifests and exhibits our priorities and our values. And so the the disciplined use of money is a critical practice to consider as part of this series. It's maybe one of the most profoundly heart-searching practices to consider as part of this entire series. Now, as we think about the spiritual discipline of stewardship for the purpose of godliness, let's keep coming back to that the discipline of stewardship for the purpose of godliness. I do wanna focus for a moment on the spiritual practice and calling of giving our money, of sharing our resources for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And and maybe using the book, I don't know how many people have read the chapter in the book about stewardship that we're reading together. I I wanna highlight a number of strong biblical principles around this subject. Again, Whitney in his book looks at 10 as I've often said, I'm lightweight, so I'm only gonna look at five. Okay, so here's, here goes. The first goes back and picks up on this fundamental fact. And this, this is a fact that, that this, is, this is the fact, if you like, that changes and alters our entire perspective on these resources. And unless we kind of start with this, and I stop messing up by using the word are, unless I get my head around this, I'm never gonna get my head around this whole issue of stewardship. And so the first thing is God owns everything we own. From beginning to end, scripture emphasizes this. And I do wanna just give you a whole bunch of verses to just illustrate this and make this point so you, this is not just a perspective and opinion. This is God's words by saying this. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Deuteronomy 10, 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it, everything in it is God's. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, 12, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you. Job 41, 11. Who has a claim against me that I must repay, says God? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Psalm fifty ten. For every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai too. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. 1 Corinthians 10, 26. The earth is Lord's. And here, here, here Paul is just re-quoting, if you like, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And just in case we think we own ourselves. Just in case any of us think we own ourselves, let's remember what Paul said, kind of connected to this. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price, as we have remembered this morning. So God owns everything, which means we are managers. We are stewards of the things that God gives us, including and maybe primarily money. The money we have in our pocket, the money we have in our bank account or wherever we have it or invest it, ultimately it belongs to God. It has been entrusted to us. And what is a steward's primary goal? And again, scripture's explicit about what is a steward's primary goal according to Jesus and the New Testament epistles? A steward's primary goal is to be found faithful by his master. Faithful in how we have used the resources that God has entrusted to us, our time and our talents and our opportunities and money and possessions. If we think the money we have is ours, and ours alone, to do with it as we like and do with it as we please, then we're never going to get a proper handle on stewardship, on giving, on sharing, on generosity. The spiritual discipline of stewardship encourages us and reminds us to give back to God what ultimately belongs to Him in the first place. Second key principle. Giving is an act of worship. It's a tangible expression of worshiping God every bit as much as our singing and our praying and our eating and our drinking and our engaging with God's spoken word. In Philippians 4, Paul thanks the local Christians for their financial giving. Here's how he describes giving it's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. And the, the language that Paul uses here resonates with and connects to the Old Testament practice of bringing sacrifices before God and to God as an act of worship. And therefore what Paul's saying in making them abundantly clear is, listen, when you give, that is an act of worship. It's a central and important act of worship. it's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It goes way beyond those things. Giving actually displays, according to God's word, a heart at worship. You might have noticed that we haven't had the offering yet. Nearly did. We haven't had the offering. I haven't lifted it. We haven't collected it. We haven't taken it. This morning, I want to get beyond those kind of words beyond those kind of phrases, beyond those kind of ideas. I want us to remember that the moment, normally after the announcements, of giving back to God a proportion of our money and our finances, that is a profound and an intense and a wholehearted act of worship. And if we have lost that, or if we're in danger of losing that because it just simply feels like another slot on a Sunday morning program, then I hope and pray to God that we recover it this morning. And so we're going to close, not yet. Hang in there. We're going to close the moment with an opportunity to give as worship. And we're going to sing, Come, now is the time to worship as we give at the end. And I realize many people give electronically and give by direct debit outside, if you like, of this congregational worship service. And so I just want to make two comments on that. One is, how can you make sure that the time of offering in this service each week remains a moment of worship? How can you make sure that it remains a moment of worship, as opposed to a chance to drift off? Secondly, how can you make sure you regularly review your monthly giving as an act of worship? so that it doesn't just get kind of set up and left to run with no further review, no further input, no further thought. We we were thinking about that as a bunch of church members on Wednesday night, and hands up, really guilty. Really guilty. Which leads on to the third principle. Our giving should be sacrificial and generous. 2, 2 Corinthians 8 is a core biblical text when it comes to the discipline of giving. It's a text that we have looked in some detail at before, but it's about a group of Christians in Macedonia who sacrificed a lot in order to give generously to the work of God, and they didn't have a lot of money. In fact, it's pretty obvious these people were dirt poor. But I quote, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord. Sacrificial generosity, that is what should characterize our giving. And giving isn't sacrificial unless you sacrifice to give. And so the simple question to ask in turn, and I've been asking it of myself this week, does it cost me to give? and is my giving generous. Fourth principle, give willingly, thankfully, cheerfully. In the very next chapter after 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul reminds us, we all know this kind of cliche phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. You see, the minute this becomes more about what I ought to do or what I should do as opposed to what I want to do is the moment we lose it. Paul actually says in the bit just before the cheerful giver comment, he says, listen, please don't give reluctantly and please don't give under compulsion. God does not want us to give out of any kind of sense of a grudge. Someone has said there are three kinds of giving, grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I have to do this. Duty giving says, I ought to do this. Thanksgiving says, I want to do this. You see, God wants us to enjoy giving because he wants us to give out of love, not a legalism. Back to 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells the Corinthian Christians about the sacrificial giving and generosity of those Macedonian dirt poor Christians. And then he says this, he says, see that you excel in this grace of giving, in this act of grace also. In other words, I want you to excel in the grace of giving just like those Macedonians. And then he goes on to write these words. And I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Paul isn't commanding people to give. He's not laying down a law. Instead, he's making the point that giving is a way of proving your genuineness of love your love for God. And he continues by making the point that is a heart issue. And he says, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. And so the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And given is a heart expression of your love for God. And so we must do it willingly, thankfully, cheerfully. And so in one sense, it really boils down to a very, very, very simple question. And it's this. Do I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind? Do I? Fifth principle, final principle. Giving should be planned and systematic. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul sets out some guidelines for giving. On the first day of the week, he says, each of you should put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper. And there's just three observations I want to make about that very simple instruction. On the first day of the week, meaning there needs to be a regularity to your giving. There needs to be a plan system to it. Secondly, each of you, so all Christians, all disciples, all those who claim to live in God must walk as Christ, walked. all those who are Christian, each of you, should express your stewardship of God's money, not your money, but your stewardship of God's money. How? Through giving. And thirdly, as he may prosper. In other words, the more you get, the more you give. And I could say so much more, don't have time. And by the way, if uh, you don't give in a kind of planned and systematic way and you want to, I've got a bunch of these because people have been asking me for these Are Windsor giving packs that I'll talk about the grace of giving. So if anybody wants one of those, speak to me afterwards. So five principles to bear in mind as you practice this spiritual discipline. God owns everything you own. Giving's an act of worship. Giving should be sacrificial, generous. Giving should be done willingly, thankfully, cheerfully. Giving should be planned and systematic. And just finish with this. There are three enemies to generous giving. And they are the three biggies. The world, The flesh, the devil. The world wants your hard-earned money. The flesh wants us to see money as mine and to spend it selfishly. And the devil wants us to waste our money. But even more subtle than that, the devil wants us to love it. Because you see, that is the root of all evil. The spiritual discipline stewardship. Use your time wisely. Recognizing that it's short and you're going to have to give an account to God how you've used it. One way to use it, practice in spiritual disciplines. Use your God-given money to worship him and give like you mean it.